James, for instance, is a special snowflake and he will <laughs> play what people say is garbage. In Mark II, he religiously played Jackdaw and Parker um, and made them work and was really good at it because he just invested the time and effort. And, and it just goes to show that um, even a master that is a little bit under par, if it's played by a good player and it's played, you know, to the maximum efficiency that you can, you can, really, um, you can really make anything work. Howdy friends, Craig here. Um, this is a long overdue episode featuring players from out, out in Australia. Uh, they had a tournament uh, not too long ago, Tedifo, and a uh, pretty good number of people, over a dozen people. And uh, we have two of the three people that made podium, Matthew Overton and James Bryant. Uh, what was interesting is this was actually a 40 stone event as opposed to a 50 soul stone event. Uh, they did that to make sure that uh, everybody had a chance to get in five turns and also I think to help newer players. Uh, it's going to be a special treat for uh, you, Tara and Molly players. Players. They both play Terra and Molly a good bit. Um, you get a chance to learn what they played into each pool and how much kind of what moves they made in order to make it to podium. Uh, Matt has a great move at the start of one of his games using Molly that allowed him to draw a fresh hand of cards before his opponent could even do his first activation. Real interesting to see how he pulled that off. We also hear how each of them brought in specific tech pieces based on the opponent's declared master. I think it uh, it's a good little lesson on how to pay attention to really what master is being declared against you and if there are specific, even out of keyword models you can bring in that can make the difference. Uh, James talks about how good the Scion of the Void is into a pool with Vendetta, which I thought was good. And uh, last but not least, we finish off with a nice discussion about how M3E is doing in Australia and uh, what happened to all the podcasts out of Australia. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we've got two players from Australia that finished on the podium for a recent three-round event. Now, I um, I miss hearing about Malifaux from Australia. Uh, there was a period of time in second edition where I think it was a rule that if you played Malifaux, you had to have a podcast. Um, but uh, the, that uh, continent has been pretty silent since we've been in third edition. So having somebody from this part of the world has been long overdue. Our first guest is Matthew Overton. Now, he's a henchman. He comes out of Perth, Western Australia, which is where uh, the event occurred. Um, he's a veteran war gamer. He's been playing for 20 some odd years, uh, but has made it clear to me that Malifaux is his favorite of all the war games. Our second guest is James Bryant. Now, Malifaux was his first war game, and it's my understanding that it was actually Matt that introduced him to Malifaux. And uh, I've also found out that he is a pretty regular uh, uh, finisher on the podium for those local events. Now, the event itself was called Teddy Foe, and it was three rounds. There were 16 players. 
Matt won the event and James finished second. We weren't able to get uh, the third place finisher on, uh, but I'm sure he'll come up during our conversations. And what I want to try to do is kind of pick their brains, um, learn, you know, what lists they brought, what masters they brought, uh, what they faced against, um, maybe some of the opposing um, factions as well. And uh, more importantly, want to learn what their path to podium was. Um, so let's start off with you, Matt. Welcome to the third floor. Uh, hey, Craig. Thanks for having us on. Uh, big fan of the show. Oh, thanks, man. So you're um, a veteran wargamer. Uh, when did you find Malifaux or when did you start playing war games? Um, yeah, so I mean, I think like most people, I started with, uh, you know, uh, Warhammer uh, 40k fantasy, um, played a heap of uh, War Machine first, second and third ed. But um, uh, between uh, big breaks of War Machine, I, I found Malifo. I was um, dabbling in uh, all the different systems like in Infinity and uh, this, you know, the smaller skirmish type systems. I uh, came across Malifo and um, I've had little breaks, but really for the most part, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to beat Malifo. So I've stuck with it. Yeah, so I, I love talking to guys like you, Matt, that have you know have played a lot of different war games because I think your perspective can be important. I'd be curious: um, are there things about, say, Infinity or War Machine that you miss that Malifaux doesn't give you, or vice versa? What is it about Malifaux that made it be uh, kind of your first love? Um, I don't know. It's hard to put it in words. I guess um, uh, I I think maybe the other two systems. Uh, try a little bit too hard like it's just because a system's more complicated doesn't make it better it doesn't make it right. fun we're all just here playing you know with <laughs> war dolls um and a game that has a million rules and a million models doesn't make it a better game um it, right to me it makes it uh just more inaccessible for new players um it's just uh you know like the the depth in Malifaux is 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 the i think you call it player agency all the time it's not yep you don't you don't win with the gotchas. You don't win with uh, just a, a, a sheer amount of rules knowledge. You you really do win by just playing the the best game of Malifaux. Yeah, and um, a lot of times I'll talk about how you know the best player typically wins, and I, I realize that's really not the right um, way to put it. I think it's the person who made the best decisions during the game usually wins. Yeah, uh, that's which right. may or may not be the best player, right? <laughs> but. Um, yeah, but that, that feeds into that agency concept um, that I, I, I do think that the decisions of Malifaux matter um, and, and they do decide. Um, now, don't get me wrong, uh, quote unquote, bad things happen um, and there can be some critical flips. Um, but I have found that a lot of times what at first looks like a really just crappy black joker flip that was at a pivotal part of the game that if you kind of go back and look at it, you realize that 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 was just the the last word in a bad sentence that you started writing before you flipped that card. Um, and uh, there's decisions you could have made that would have not prevented that flip from happening, but could have made it so that wasn't the point where you started losing. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I, there's very rarely there might be the odd occasion where a game's lost to a black joker, but very rarely if if it's come down to you losing to a single flip, even if it's a black joker, that you didn't have the game in the bag in the first place. You know, if the game's right. that close, it, it it you know it could have been anyone's game anyway. So James, welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me. So, James, you have a, a kind of a little bit of a different perspective from Matt. Um, it's my understanding that Matt introduced you to Malifaux, but this was your first war game. Yeah, that's right. I, I'd, I'd tried a few before, but I just didn't feel like they were my thing. Didn't really enjoy them. And then when he showed me Malifaux, I don't know, I just, just clicked. 
what and what was the aspect of it that quote unquote clicked for you? I guess I like the smaller size. I could look at some of the other ones like 40K or War Machine. It's like much bigger scale. And I also really like the cards instead of the dice. Yeah. Feels better. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now Matt plays Resurrectionist, but uh, you started with Outcasts and have stayed with Outcasts throughout your whole time, right? Yes. I've, some, I've had yeah. 10 Thunders at one point, but Outcasts was always my main. Always stuck with them for events. And what was it about Outcasts that made you uh, take them at the very beginning and then stick stick with them for this long? So the first time when I first picked them, it was purely because of their symbol, the rose and the dagger. That was cool. the, the whole reason. Like, oh, that looks cool. I looked at them. Uh, my first master was the Vix. It was you know the only twin masters. It just sounded uh, like a cool concept. Not yep. even my favorite master anymore, but <laughs> that's what's that's what caught my attention at the beginning. Um, yeah, you know it's funny um, earlier, and I don't know whether it'll be released. Um, already to the audience or not, but we did an expert roundtable. Um, and uh, one of the things that came up during the conversation is uh, M3 EVIX versus M2 EVIX. Have you had a chance to try them in third edition? Yes, I have. And I, I enjoy them more. So let me hear let me hear your take. Well, I think they're much, much more mobile now, just the crew in general. They've got amazing abilities with uh, battle tempo. You know, at the beginning of the turn, they all move two inches. The Ronin are amazing schemers with their on-the-move. When they activate, they move three inches. It's they can, they can really get to where they need to go. And when you got the Vix, they seem to be much more killy. In, in like in my perspective, I find them much more killy than they were into it second edition. And they're running around killing everything. And the, the super mobile crew is just scoring everything. Yeah. Now, it, the conversation that we had had on the roundtable um, – is uh, uh, Cody Hyatt, who's a local here in North Carolina um, uh, and a very good player. Uh, he won Nova. Um, the The point that he made in in that episode is that um, he feels like the Vicks don't have um, a, a place in Outcasts. That they, you know, that they're perfectly fine. They're good, um, and they can be very competitive. But he finds that in most pools they always end up being his second choice that he can seem to find another outcast keyword that'll do that pool better. Um, are you finding it hard to find a place for Vix or are they seeing the table? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. In, in a tournament, I, I wouldn't probably wouldn't play the Vix. I might use them for fun, but yeah, I definitely always have a, a preferred option for the schemes and strats instead of the Vix. And do you think that that's a function gem uh, of, uh, like they just need a little, they need something that'll make them unique or, um, like what is your solution to that? Or is, or is it a, are we trying to find a solution that, that isn't a problem? I, I honestly don't think it's a problem that needs to be fixed. As, as he said, they're, they're good. It's not like that right. bad, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. Honestly, the way I, the way I see it. Yep. Um, Matt, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, there's gotta be a lot to be said surely about, um, simply having the AP efficiency of two masters for, for, for one go, because you like that, as far as I'm reading the cards, they're not, well, I haven't, I haven't seen them on the table, but they don't seem so underwhelming that, that it can't be, it can't, it, it just seems exceptional that there's, there's two of the, of, of each of them. Um, yep. just for like late game, they can certainly do the work and, and remove the pieces. And then I've, I found the AP, well, it feels that the AP efficiency would be surely something to look at. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, we think of the Vicks as, um, you know, being uh, deadly assassins, but the reality is, is with both of them having three actions and a bonus and the mobility that they have, it turns out that one or both of them can be incredible scheme runners. Yeah, that's how I see it. Like, yeah. Now, Matt, uh, as a Rezzer player, um, how do you feel about where your faction is right now? Do you oh. think it's in a good place? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we're in a really good spot. Um, we surely can't complain. We have a a really, really wide staple of of very competitive masters. So it's um it's it's really hard to be disappointed at the moment playing reses. Of of all of them right now, are you what which which one are you focusing on or trying to get better with? Uh, so um, Von Stuck and Molly are certainly my uh, preferred. Uh, but I play I played so much of them up leading up to the event that that I've um I'm even dabbling now in Neverborn. But but um that's only going to be periodic and then it'll be back to reses and i'm really interested in uh kira and mcmorning um the only thing is i've seen both their new sculpts on the horizon and, and i just yeah. have this thing where i don't really want to paint up these new pieces when um and play with unpainted pieces uh so soon before new sculpts come out so i guess that's just a bit of the the hobbyist in me um putting stuff on the back burner yeah, I I struggle with that too because I there's there's stuff that I want to get going with um and you know I know new sculpts are coming because we've seen the artwork and for me it's the Von Stuck um you know I'm working on my Von Stuck crew now um and I I had the luxury of already having the uh, students painted from uh, second edition um, oh nice but I I look at those students and then I look at the artwork for the new students and I'm like you know. Oh. I, I, I'm, I'm going to end up just buying all of it and repainting and painting all of it uh, because those new sculpts compared to the uh, the two E sculpts are incredible. Absolutely. It's going to be real tough trying to get those um, all those models into a list, though, because they're all gorgeous, but there's so many of them. And yeah. uh, and there's just such a core staple of a Von Stuck crew. I think more so than any other crew that I've built in any other faction, um, Von Stuck's staple is just very hard to shift. Well, it, it helps the fact that you have uh, a minion in the keyword that you don't struggle to bring. You struggle to only bring two or, you know, one or two or three of them. Uh, the, I mean, the big decision in a Von Stuck crew is do I take one undergraduate? Do I take two or do I take three or do I take two and some? And I mean, Von Stuck has a really good minion. Yeah, I, I mean, I only ever take two because then that leaves the six point slot up, up <laughs> to be opened, um, yeah. to be summoned is the only six point option we have. And if I hit six, a six cost minion, then um, um, we're going to want to bring in that third one off the, off that summon. Cause otherwise you're looking at a necropunk, which I love as well, but that's not really the, the summon you're looking for often. Yeah. You would prefer to do an undergraduate or even a, a, a higher cost of student, depending on how, uh, what, what you killed to do that replace. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, um, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to start talking about round one. It was an idols round, and uh, let's find out what uh, James and Matt did um, in that first round. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's talk about round one. Now, round one was uh, cursed, uh, was idols. It was uh, the schemes were breakthrough, uh, harness the ley line, take prisoner, assassinate, and claim jump. And the uh, deployment was standard. Um, so, looking at the pool itself, um, you've got you know breakthrough kind of uh, you know dictates where that has to happen. You've got harness the ley line dictating action in the middle. Um, then you've got claim jump, which is pushing things to the middle. But you have take prisoner and assassinate, which can kind of happen anywhere. It's a pretty interesting pool. So, Matt, before we kind of get started, what was your feelings or your thoughts on the pool when you first saw it? All right. So the list, actually, we never mentioned this, Craig, but um, the event was uh, 40 stone lists. I think the organizer was a bit worried that with the new rule set, people might need some extra time. Yeah. Um, but actually, most of the people there um, are part of a crew that had been have been playing really regularly, even two to three times a week. Um, so everyone, I think I'm fairly sure everyone finished every round, um, in time. So there was nice. no one didn't get to turn five, which is really good. Uh, but the 40 stones definitely helped, um, helped with that, but it made list building quite difficult. Um, in this list, I took, uh, Stuck with the Whisper. Um, I took obviously his totem. I took Valley, um, Anna, uh, a single student and two necropunks. Um, I picked Breakthrough, uh, assassinate and obviously we we're playing in um, idols. Um, my opponent took Old Major, Sour, Whisper, Penny, Slot Polar, and Wild Boar. Um, we both deployed off uh, across from each other on one side that was a little bit more open than the other. Um, I think we both kind of have some synergies that we want to keep within our, like, you know, the six inch bubbles. Yep. Um, I've got a pretty, Von Stuck, I think for most players, actually has a pretty, um, formulaic opening um, where he just gives everyone focus, pushes forward, gets an upgrade on a model, buys his time and pieces start coming forward. I think Jeremy was a little bit uh, over aggressive with um, his crew and I was able to get Valley onto Old Major. Actually, typically I go for a softer target to try and get a summon, but because Old Major was so close and is so key to the crew, I I switched up and decided I'd I'd, um, try and take him down. Um, because of that, I actually put the summon upgrade on Anna and, um, cause I knew Valley wouldn't be able to do it on her own. Sent Valley in, did a heap of damage, but boy, he's hard to take down with Ulix, um, preventing damage and, and, and yeah. being a hen stoning, um, and just tons of tech, which can keep him up. Um, well, speaking of tech pieces, Matt, I'm, you know, bringing, bringing Anna into, uh, uh, Ulix, I think is a very interesting pick because, and this is something I don't think people realize, but her aura, uh, that her anti-place aura can have a huge effect on summoners and, uh, anything that does a lot of replacing because when you summon and when you do a replace, it's a place, um, yes. which she can shut down. Yeah, she shuts down. Yeah. So she shuts down both with, so she shuts down obviously the summons with the place effect, gravity well, um, uh, but hostile work environment, obviously huge as well in, in buff crews and, and, um, and, you know, uh, synergistic crews like that. 
So both of them, I was really, I was really impressed. And and I think lots of people play idols similar in that they they try and push hard for a single side and then really almost like uh, bank on that side. Yeah, uh, you know, holding down one side and then and then shifting. Especially in standard, the the idea was that um, you know you straddle the center and your flank, your chosen flank, um, and <laughs> almost pray a little bit that you can get ahead between the center and the flank and uh, sorry, center and your chosen flank. While uh, if you have to give some ground on the, on your, on the other flank, then you can, uh, but, but eventually, you know, uh, pull out your win there. Right. Right. So what was the uh, final score? So the final score there was an eight, two. Um, he was really unlucky with some of the blasts. I actually got, uh, more than once I got a severe blast with Von Stuck. It's really important because obviously he's putting out that, um, putting out the injured. Yeah. Um, I was able to get my breakthrough points off of summon models and also a summon of the Necropunk, which stopped, uh, one of his break, breakthrough points late game. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he finally did get an idol on the opposite side, which I wasn't a fan of, but, um, I was able to, um, just work out that if I could ping the Necropunk with fast from Von Stuck um, after he was given an upgrade, um, obviously, and then push in the two inches plus his leap and fast, he was actually able to leg it on the other side of the table and get that last idol as well. Yeah, um, Necropunks are good, and Von Stuck in general is good. You know, there's a lot of chatter and stuff on uh, a weird place about you know overpowered, underpowered, and stuff like that. And the only reason Von Stuck is not a a regular part of that conversation is because he just he, the box just came out and people aren't uh, facing him enough. I think that we're going to start hearing some chatter about Von Stuck soon. Yeah, I've um, seen a lot of people say that they just haven't played him because they haven't painted him up, painted him yep. up, which is uh, fair enough. Uh, yep. But oh boy, he's not just strong; he's crazy fun. So he's got the perfect combination. Yeah, I love how he can shift gears. Um, uh, it's I think a, a, a gives you a flexibility uh, to it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, James, who, who, what uh, what faction was your opposing faction in round one? I played Rezzers, and his master was uh, Kirai. Ooh, nice. That's like, I, I really like Kirai into um, that. Well, and who did you bring? <laughs> I took Tyra, my absolute favorite outcast master for corrupt idols. Um, so my, my list was Tyra, Nothing Beast, Aeonis, uh, Sign of the Void, the usuals. Um, I also had Hans and a single wretch. And my opponent had Nikirai, Ikirio, uh, Statsuba, Lost Love, Onryo, Shikome, and Two Station, I believe. Oh, wow. That's a good list. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely a good list. I'd never seen Kirai before, never read anything about her before that event. So like, I was quickly looking up a few bits about her before making my list. And <laughs> I wasn't sure what to do. <laughs> I <will admit. laughs> It's tough. It's tough, James, when you get when you go up against a keyword that you haven't faced before, and you know you can do what you did, which is kind of flip through some cards and try to get a sense of it. But the, but the reality is, is that until you see the stuff on the table, you really don't know what the hell it does. Yeah, you read one card, and then by the time you're reading the second card, you've forgotten what was on the first one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, the schemes I took were breakthrough and claim jump. Absolutely love break, uh, breakthrough and claim jump with Tyra for obvious reasons. Tyra five yep. AP, being able to time slip, basically a one AP leap. She's amazing. Um, at, at the start, I, I had four stones. Uh, at the start, I stoned for hand, of course, trying to fish for those uh, 11, uh, 12, sorry, 12 times, just so I could summon two wretches, my usual go-to first turn. Uh, I couldn't get it. My highest card was a 10, so I only managed to get one wretch. Still not too bad. 
Yep. Um, my, well, my usual starting strategy is obviously burying the nothing beast, burying a couple of my own models just to get them up the table before they've activated. I will admit, I put Tyra a bit too far forward at the beginning. I didn't realize how far Kirai can move Ikirio. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Uh, he got in, got a, Ikirio got into Tyra two severes. Um, he almost killed Tara. She was left on four health. Obviously, irreducible, can't stone. Um, Tara spent the rest of the game basically running away from Ikirio. <laughs> <laughs> I got the nothing beast into him at the uh, her yes, at the end of the at the end of the first turn. Did, did a lot of damage. Got her down to two health. Gave her fast. My normal game plan is like you know, get models down to the two health and then keep them near those models. I can't remember the ability, but uh, no, no. Age to Destruction, Tyra yeah. stuck in Obliteration keyword uh, ability. Basically, if you activate within four inches of a model with this ability, four aura, you take two damage. Not attacks, so it ignores Incorp. I got Ikirio down to two health. I'm like, oh, this, this will kill her. Um, <laughs> turns out he can move Lost Love really far as well. I was really surprised. <laughs> Same thing happened. He just pushed Lost Love like up the table. Lost Love healed Ikirio. Um, very scared. <laughs> so ended up just burying Ikirio, sending her to the other side of the table. One, another one of the reasons I love Tyra so much for Corrupted Idols is obviously I can move, I can send my opponent to where they don't want to be, and yeah. if I'm on the right flank and he's dropping bombs on the left, I can just you know snap my fingers and I'm on the left flank ready to go. Yeah, that that flexibility, James, is is huge, and um, it's so tough when you play against Karai because. You know, Akirio is is the is the boogeyman in that crew, <laughs> and you, you know you're you're you face such a terrible choice, which is do I kill her? Which means she's going to come right back, and if I'm if I don't time it right, she's gonna I'm gonna have to face her twice in the same turn, um, or do I keep her alive and let her irreducible damage tear me to pieces? Um, I think what's interesting with you um, playing Tara is that you've got a third option, which is I'm just going to bury her. And just take her off the board. Right she can't be summoned, and she's not, you know, messing up my plans. Um, so, James, when you looking back at the game, well, first of all, what was the final score? Uh, five five. Oh wow, it was a tie. No kidding. Yeah. Um, what What do you think um, was maybe some of the crucial points that um, prevented it from being a loss or a win for you? Um, well, I, I started out real strong. Um, I had complete control of the idols. Um, one of my biggest mistakes was going a bit too far up with Tyra. Just yeah. I didn't I didn't realize how aggressive he can be with the curio. Um, I did start to lose out on board control. He just ended up having getting all these summons. I started losing my models. I wasn't able to really keep up. Um, and then yes, towards the end, I just kind of lost lost the board control. Um, I, had to, I had to laugh at the fact that it was an entire list of Incorp versus an entire list of vengeance. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, was, I didn't even think that about was a that. Pain in the ass. I will admit. Just yeah, it was one of the things that kind of stopped me from being super aggressive because you know, like I didn't have the greatest of hands. I couldn't guarantee some high hits. So I'm like, yep. do I attack this model? Do you know, like my wretches? You know, they do one damage down to zero. I take your damage. You know, nothing based on you doing min two. I'm taking damage. <laughs> that yeah. really it was starting to rack up real quick. So James, you talk about losing board control. Which um, can you can you kind of explain that for somebody who may not know what you mean? So I just I didn't have enough models by the end, so I wasn't able to get my keep my summons up, and he was just summoning all the models he needed. He he took an upgrade uh, initiative, uh, no, sorry, uh, intuition lets him see the top three cards of his deck when he activated Kirai. Yeah, so he was really able to get those summons. Basically, he just had more models than me, and I wasn't able to keep keep those idols locked down. He started to move them back over to my side, and I couldn't send them back. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's a that's an aspect of wargaming in general, but especially in Malifaux, that concept of board control can be a really big deal. And 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 um you know, when you lose that, um, it can make things tough. And, and so for the listeners out there, you know, when we talk about board control, um, and uh, James, you know, talk about, a, you know, he had a lot, you know, had a lot of models, you're talking about do- dominating pieces of the board. So areas on the map that, that, um, that, you know, you dominate. And because so much of scoring in um, Malifaux third edition has to deal with, um, proximity, um, either you have to be in a specific location for like, say, harness or, um, or claim jump, or you have to be near a specific model for, you know, take prisoner and stuff like that. When, when you have board control, um, and you dominate areas on the mat itself, what you're doing is really critically, um, uh, uh, inhibiting your opponent from, from being in a position to score. Um, so, uh, that um, you coming out of it with a tie against Karai because she's so good into idols, uh, especially uh, James, considering you had never played against her. Um, uh, hats off, man. That's uh, that's usually a recipe for a loss. Um, so the fact that you were able to keep it keep it close is good. Um, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from the break, I want to hear um, you know what happened now into round two. Uh, Matt had a dominant win, so I'm sure he's going to have um, uh, a tough matchup up at the top. And uh, James very smartly tied so that he could have hopefully an easier match round two. (laughs) So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Doug, and I'm a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because Craig promised he'd play as the Arcanist if the Patreon reached $300. I want to see him suffer. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Need to give uh, our top Patreons a quick uh, thank you. These are the people that have contributed the most to the Third Floor Wars. Uh, so big thanks to Nick Westbrook, Colin, Kevin Smith, Sam Newman, Stephen Morris, and Jeremy Peace. Uh, it's because of you guys that we just ordered some new video equipment um, that's going to make our live streams and videos even better. So thanks a ton. All right, so round two, another interesting pool. It was a uh, corner deployment, which uh, often could have a huge effect on um, everything. Uh, and it was plant explosives. And uh, corner plant explosives is a lot different than uh, standard plant explosives. So we got corner plant explosives. We've got uh, everybody's favorite, search the ruins. We've got dig their graves, hold up their forces, take prisoner, and deliver a message. Uh, so, James, um, uh, from my understanding, you ended up soloing Tara through this, right? I did, yes. And and was that a situation where you just were she was the best for these three pools, or <laughs> you just felt more comfortable with her? What, what was the decision making there? So I actually took two crews with me to play. Like I had a couple of spare pieces I could change it up if I needed to. Uh, so I took Tara and Parker, uh, fully intending to play Parker in Turf Four, the game three. Yeah, but then I came up against the other outcast player, and he was actually playing Parker. 
he was playing uh, Parker for all three. And I'm like, I don't want to do Parker v. Parker. It's hard yeah. to play Tara. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, and, and you know, like, don't get me wrong. Tara's, Tara's really good, especially if you're used to her. So, so you bring Tara. So what was your uh, 40 stone crew? Uh, so uh, game two, Tara, same usual pieces. Tara, Karina, Nothing Beast, Aonis, Sign of the Void. Um, I didn't take Hans in the second game. I took Midnight Stalker instead. Great nice. for plant explosives. You know, manipulative, fast, leaping. Just fantastic model. Yeah, and your opponent? Um, so he was playing Yarn Low. Uh, uh, Resurrectionist Yarn Low. Uh, so Yarn Low, Soul Porter, Izamu, Manos, Yin, uh, One Kameinu, and Chiaki. Man, that's that's now two rounds in a row where you went up against some some strong uh, keywords. Um, because Yan Low in the right hands, especially Reser Yan Low, can be nasty. So uh, how did the game play out? Um, well, so the game was seven to seven to two, my victory. Good for you. Um, so I think similar start as the last one. I didn't get very high cards. I only managed to get one red shout. Um, and usual first turn, burying nothing beast, burying Scion, and helping them get up the table before they've activated. Um, so the, the schemes I took were Search the Ruins and uh, Hold Up Their Forces. Obviously, Search the Ruins is for one I find pretty easy to score. Yeah. And the table favored me for that one. I happened to win initiative, uh, so, sorry, win the attacker defender. So I got to choose where I was deploying. And yep. I just had a lot of a lot of um, terrain, a lot of terrain yep. on the opponent's half of the table. And he didn't have much on my half that he could actually like score with. Um, and then hold up the forces I love just because, you know, summon two wretches, they pop out in base contact with the enemy at the end of the round, and then there's your score. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good, really good scheme with her, uh, just based off of that summoning mechanic. It's a very good summoning mechanic. I love it. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I started, I just, I kind of went up one flank with Tyra. He had Manos. I, I'm terrified of Manos. I've seen and heard about the things Matt can do with Manos. I'm like, I don't want any of this. <laughs> um, I just did my typical nothing beast bomb. You know, Tara goes up. I generate pass tokens with Aeonis. That's basically the only thing I do with Aeonis early turns. You know, unburied two models get four pass tokens. Delayed until I was like the last one to activate. Drop nothing beast. Nothing beast goes to town on um, Manos and then drops a wretch and nothing beast disappears again. <laughs> I did manage to yeah. kill. He ended up running away with Manos. I ended up just managed to kill him. It was beginning of turn three. Uh, <laughs> nothing, yeah, nothing based did a lot of work that round. Did a lot of killing, a lot of burying. He actually ended up with four of my opponent's bombs at one point. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that was, you know, yeah, he only scored one point from the plant explosive, so that was a you know, strong, strong start for me. Well, that's good. That's good target priority on your on your, on your part, uh, James, because um Manos, Manos is one of those models where there everything on his card says don't attack him, right? I mean, he's got just wonderful mobility. He's got the no charge aura, um, and you know he's built to discourage you from getting into him. But he may be the best model in a Yan Low crew um, that can do the most disruption. Um, so uh, you know, focusing on him and and doing that was a smart smart play on your part. Uh, thanks. I was actually speaking of you know that no charge thing. That's one of the reasons I love Tyra's crew. Obviously, very nothing beast, and he just comes out and bears contact with Manos. He doesn't need to charge. Yep. So that's just getting straight in there, and he's ready to go all his AP. Um, was there um, something critical that happened, uh, James, that uh, made this uh, a win for you? Uh, oh, so, so I went kind of really strong on one side. He's gone strong on the other, other flank. And what made it really strong was I was able to 
bury, I buried uh, his Kamano, who was running around with armor three, move seven. So like, I didn't bother attacking it at all. I just buried it, buried Yarn Low, and I just sent him back into his corner near oh, Chiaki, who hadn't moved up. And then I was able to just, I left two wretches on that flank, and they were just, they just sat there scoring me my search the ruins. And then I was able to push real hard on his Ooh. little cluster of models. Burying him with a reliquary, <laughs> that's rude. One strong yeah, no thing. Kidding. <laughs> one strong thing that happened for him. I've got nothing based up there. I'm uh, not, not sorry. Midnight Stalker had an activated. He's got manipulative, and he's just throwing random attacks from me on low. Stat seven, so he's two points up, two stats up on me, and he mm-hmm. was just flipping severe. Like so, negative flip 13, 12, he hits. Another negative flip 12, 11, he hits. Um, ended up killing Midnight Stalker. <laughs> you know got through the demise and then killed him a second time just because wow. ridiculous n- negative flips of course his deck was a bit sad after that um yeah so one of the best points for me was just as i said getting him on the other side and then i was able to use you know wretches to pick up his bombs that he placed or remove scheme markers he was also doing search ruins being able ionis being able to just spit out a, a void wretch you know three inches away from him not in combat and just walk and interact pick up a scheme marker very great anti-scheming. Yeah, we're on one side of the table, and now they're on the other. Yep, yep, and um, that that really hurts a uh, Yanlo crew um, if you can get Yanlo out of position because one of the keys to uh, being good with Yanlo is making sure Yanlo is in exactly the right place uh, um, during the game. So your your ability to displace them had to have had a huge effect. <laughs> one of the, my biggest problems is I kept winning the berry duels and probably shouldn't have been declaring them. I'm just used to like, oh yeah, there's the time I declare it. I only got one point for my holdup because I kept oh, burying my right. holdup targets. <laughs> 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 like I'd get to the end of the stage at the end of the turn. I'm like, I'm ready to declare hold up. Like, wait a minute, where are the models? <laughs> They're buried. So so here's here's a pro tip for you, James. When you when when we say denying schemes, we mean the opponent schemes, not your <laughs> own. <laughs> That's funny, <laughs> but but it, it was just just out of habit, right? You had to declare the trigger and bury stuff. Yeah, especially with the wretches. You know, it's built in. So I'm always declaring with the wretches. So it's right. like, yeah, bury trigger. Oh, that's funny, uh, Matt. Uh, what did you What did you go up against? Oh, I just have to laugh at the irony because I also um, denied my own points. I took uh, take. <laughs> On, um, with uh, Molly, and you never take prisoner with Molly because they just do multiple activations in front of Lance Caress and kill themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you get your first point, but never the second. Um, so I played Molly into McCabe Explorers, which is really interesting, but our um, Explorer players have been hammering like two, three games a week. Um, very experienced, um, very confident with the, the faction. So despite only having the two master picks, um, he was he was uh, he did really well. I think he placed fourth overall. Um, so yeah, it was Molly into McCabe. Um, it was corner with uh, Plant, uh, as we talked about. Um, the lists were he took McCabe, uh, Sadia, and uh, Triple Huxes, um, and nice. I took I took um, uh, Molly, uh, Archie, and Manus. Of course, was an auto include as soon as he declared McCabe. Yeah. Uh, Myers, uh, the um, the Lantern of Souls uh, countering to Myers was was really key. Um, I also took the Dead Rider um, for more ruthless because he had triple um, Huxes and they all have manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the speed was pretty essential. Um, I had an interesting opening move. I had one of the most garbage hands I've ever seen um, and I was looking for a way out and I thought, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll um, punch Molly with the Wayward Mariner 
Um, so what I did is first activation, I got initiative. I hit Molly, cheated the defense so it does no damage. Uh, pinged her for the heal, cheated the 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 card and the heal. Um, walked forward, uh, discarded a fifth card and uh, accomplished into Molly, drawing back up to full six. Um, nice move. That's a, that's and that's a move that's not real obvious. Um, and so for those of you listening that aren't familiar with Molly, um, at the beginning of her activation, she has the ability to draw up to uh, the hand size of your opponent. So what Matt does there is nice, which is you know dump his garbage hand and accomplice into Molly and just get. I mean, how many cards did you end up drawing, Matt? Uh, so that that was five cards. The attack and defense nice. from the the ping for the heal and the cheat the heal card itself despite no damage um and then it's another it's a fifth card for the actual accomplice and you just keep your your one average card and you're set to go and all all of that at the cost of a totem activation yeah and you still get you still get one walk so you're not completely left behind and and i just um did ride with me later anyway um so he he was fine um the only the biggest biggest downside is being forced to activate molly but Mm -hmm. you're on you're on corner anyway, and so it's very likely that um, all I'm going to be able to do is um, a couple walks, maybe a focus anyway. Um, there's no markers around, um, so pretty much I was I was just going to be legging it up the board. Um, and the other reason I was happy to go with her is because the board was one of the lightest on, on terrain, and there was a central forest where if I could get to it, it was pretty much late, late's caress was going to be active all game and really relevant. Yeah. Um, and it was, it really was. So, um, the player was really smart though. He, he knew exactly what, what he had to do. Um, he went the opposite way of Manos. He stayed out of Let's Caress with McCabe and, um, and he, uh, used the terrain to his advantage in a really, really clever way. Uh, he's a good player. Um, anyone that says, uh, McCabe can't do damage is <laughs> well <laughs> off mark. Um, oh, no he, question. Yeah. You read his card carefully. He might have a min of two. But you're looking at like dozens of jewels. He he. Every time he moves over models, they take death thirteen jewels. Um, he has built in trigger to move over move as well. So he's he's doing his ride ride with me. Three models move thirteen jewels, take two damage. Then he's charging back over them, uh, move thirteen death two, and then every single attack he's doing is automatically moving over again. So. Um, yeah, that was, he, he puts, he puts your hand under so much pressure. Yeah, it's massive. Um, the, the only thing that saved me here is that because of, um, Let's Caress, uh, I was, his angles and the models he could get over were, were limited by, um, by Let's Caress. So, Mm -hmm. so that was really good. I had to dump my whole hand, keeping Manos up. Um, but uh, as soon as Manos, uh, I think Manos was left on two health. Um, and after that, it was kind of all she wrote. Um, Manos, uh, Manos was pinging Dead Rider for all the suits he needed. Um, ended up bringing McCabe down and still having the leap left to jump over and do the free attack onto Sadia. And I red joked damage flip. So, um, very nice. Yeah, it was a bad turn for, I think. So Manos basically killed McCabe and Sadia in one activation, just about. <laughs> He's he's a monster. I mean, he got a few bits of damage on the turn before, but for the most part, that's that's how it went down. Uh, Yeah, and uh, especially at forty stones, you take out those two key pieces, and uh, I don't care how good the hucksters are; it's going to be tough. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had um, Archie and Dead Rider with uh, with Ruthless, so they were the the Huxers were kind of a piece of cake, really. Um, yep. And they're just incredible pieces. So um, I'm just really lucky that that I've got these incredibly maneuverable Ruthless pieces because um, trying to deal, I couldn't imagine trying to deal with those without these these pieces. Yeah, and. Um this is also has to do with a uh, kind of meta knowledge. Um, and it's, uh, it's good to be familiar with as mu- as many different keywords as possible so that you know what can be key tech pieces, right? So knowing, you know, the demise ability on, um, McCabe and knowing that, uh, hucksters are going to be there and that manipulative is going to be key there. It's, it's good. Um, and that just comes from experience. Um, it's also why, um, I think a lot of people, We'll listen to some of the deep dives we put out, even though they don't play that master, because it gives them, uh, you know, a sense of what that uh, keyword does so that when they face that keyword, um, they might be able to do to do a little bit of tech against it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you knew fairly well that I was going to bring Manos. Um, he, I mean, that's that's why he played as safe as he possibly could. But Manos, is, it's easy to redeploy. It's not a, not a trouble at all. Um and uh, he wasn't comfortable with bass in that particular pool. I, I think part of it is he, he said that bass really actually requires quite a bit of terrain, and it was fairly terrain, terrain white, and so he didn't want to have to deal with that. And, and I imagine with the pool uh, plant and search, uh, Huxter's a kind of a go-to anyway. So as much as he hated the McCabe into Manos, he, um, uh, ultimately it was, it was kind of good enough on the other side to, to go for it. So two strong wins from these guys um, in, in, in round two. We're going to uh, take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about round three, which, of course, is uh, where we ended up with Matt winning and James in second. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So final round, we've got uh, a flank turf war pool. Um, we've got detonate the charges, search the ruins, power ritual, outflank, and vendetta. Um, so Matt, uh, what did you face and who did you bring? Oh, so I faced um, Kyle. He's been playing Euripides uh, for like a couple of months, pretty much every game. Um, this guy owns nearly every master in the game, I believe. And wow. um, <laughs> he, he's, he's a great player, but but he um, he doesn't focus um on single masters enough but but i knew as soon as he he played a master as much as this that he would happily um walk to top table um even though he was soloing Euripides and everyone knew he was so um and Euripides definitely has his limitations as much as he's awesome yeah no Um, i agree yeah so i wanted to um take i really wanted to take um 
shook into this pool, uh, but I ultimately decided on Molly for the marker removal and also because we'd played this mirror before and he kept Molly in a ice pillar for four rounds in a row. And I went so I took uh, Molly Necrotic, uh, Rogue Necro, Archie, True Krulians, and the Dead Rider. Um, the reason I took the Dead Rider, apart from just being a great piece, is I really wanted to live the dream with uh, the Soulfire Trigger, which is a 2-3-4, um, ignoring hard to kill. And pretty much his whole crew is hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought there might be like a golden turn late in the game where um, we'd be able to blow a few um, savages off the table with a single lightning action. Um, and I did get to live the dream, so that was quite nice. Cool. It was it was it was an absolute brawl in the middle. Um, he had some really interesting opening um, moves. He 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 puts a ice pillar um, uh, behind Thune and then pushes him into it with the with the giant. And it, the giant's trigger is that he can place into base contact with any marker. Um, mm-hmm. So he Euripides had set up a wall in front of Molly because Molly had gone gone forward um, again into a forest in the center trying to get. Lathe's caress off, um, which would have been really good, but I got blocked off by some ice pillars. And then I got a by your side Krulligan in there to knock a couple of pillars down straight away. Uh, but then Thun got thrown in with the uh, giant uh, trigger, uh, throws him into a pillar, transports to any pillar, and first turn, already trying to bury, um, bury Molly. Uh, I know Thun, he's got this incredible trigger which uh, puts turns a model into an ice pillar basically yep. um, and the biggest nastiest part about it it is not an opposed jewel so if they have the card you are buried um, he often stones for it and uh, gets you in there um, you can the only way to get it out is to break the marker um, and unless you <clears throat> unless you're what is it uh, uh, mad dog um, <laughs> the in general um, yeah so um yeah, it ended up being quite a brawl in the middle. There's a few uh, pieces going after the the, the, the flanking um, turf markers. Um, ultimately, I had to make a decision whether I was going to keep scheming with Archie or bring him into the fray. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that I was going to eventually lose that fight in the middle and maybe a little bit too early. And I was confident I could eke out the win on the flanks with the pieces I had. Um, they were a little bit tougher, like the Rogue Necro was going down the same flank as, for instance, the Cyclops, and I was pretty confident in that fight, um, and then, uh, some, something else on the other flank. Um, so I put Archie into the middle, and it, it was the right move. He did go down, but it was long enough to stall out um, the the brawl so that I could um, get Molly doing work um, and also the Dead Rider uh, without having to lose pieces by being overwhelmed by his. Um, I think it was turn four. I got to finally do the Dead Rider explosion and um, <laughs> finished off a Savage and uh, Cyclops and being one damage shy of killing Euripides himself. Um, so that was cool. Um, would have been cooler if I flipped the, the one to kill the Euripides, but, uh, you know, can't have it all for a lightning action. Um, so Dead Rider is a bit of a um, MVP this game. Um what do we have? Oh, so at one point, I think it was turn two, Molly and Archie were both in pillars. Um, so I got the wayward. Wow. Got wayward, yeah, it was horrible. He was stoning for it all, Get got all the cards. Um, and their insane ability, um, what's it called? Is it in, not intuition? It's the one where they take a damage and, and, and use the card on their discard pile. It's it is, so good. It's so strong. Um, yeah, so Wayward popped Molly out, and luckily, of course, only because of Accomplice, Molly was able to activate straight away and get Archie out. So 
Um, that was that was uh, strong enough to get me ahead there. I think um, one thing I got to stop doing is um, I like taking um, Benetta with Krulligans just because you can go last, very last, be anywhere on the table, um, and then try and buy your side out of there. But uh, it just never works for me. The min one just doesn't doesn't quite cut it. Um, doesn't quite work. So. Yeah, Vendetta is a tough scheme, man. It, um, it, it there, there's so much that has to be true in order for you to score, and um, the it, it's not it's not in a, an, an inefficient um scheme, right? So it, a lot of it is just showing up and doing what you're going to do anyway. But the problem is, is that you have to you have to meet so many requirements to score, um, and it's so yeah. easy, even unwittingly, for your opponent to counter it. Um, yeah. they may not even know you have it and they're, you know, they just doing what they do. And suddenly you're like, well, no, all right, now I can't score vendetta. That's great. Yeah. I do think though, that undergraduates are a bit of an exception there. They are just <laughs> models. Oh, I really like the undergraduates too. We, we got to yeah. stop talking about it, Matt, or we're going to get, uh, we're going to get, uh, too yeah. much attention. Just about to a cast on those, those guys alone. Yeah. I like Euripides. Um, I've played against Euripides a couple times, um, and there's a few things. One, it might be the prettiest of all the new crews. Um, Mm -hmm. Those models are gorgeous um, and painted right. They're really good. Um, I think there's a lot of really interesting abilities um, that Euripides has. He plays a little bit different than everybody else, which I really, really like. Um, The struggle, I think, is uh, a lot of large bases, um, which um, makes positioning and movement a little bit tough. It's easy to get in your own way. Um, I'll be very interested to see as people get more and more reps under with Euripides, kind of where he falls um, within the Neverborn faction because i think there's a lot of power to unlock there um and it sounds like um your your uh, opponent there understood um a lot of that um and took advantage of a lot of that and then and soon it's just a great model i think a lot of euripides movement shenanigans are just not obvious yeah um that, that's part of the problem that it's not it's not your built-in leaps it's not you know your 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 ride with me and stuff like that their triggers on on attacks and, and hitting your own models and and triggers on lightnings and stuff. So um, if you see a really good Euripides player play, you will be ter- you'll be very surprised how quick they are. He his half his crew was in in my corner in flank um, before I could even get across the board, and I'm playing with Archie and Dead Rider and stuff like that. So. James, how about you? Uh, what did you bring into? Well, we know you brought Terra into round three, but what did you face? <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, this is when I was supposed to be playing Parker. I ended up versing Parker, so I took Tyra instead. Um, you might have heard me laugh when you're talking about Vendetta. So one of the things I took was Vendetta. One of my favorite things to do with Vendetta is take the Sign of the Void, the six-year-old <laughs> henchman whose damage is you know, uh, three, four, five when she's buried, and so is the enemy model. Absolutely love her for Vendetta. She's just amazing. <laughs> and she she's a great, she is a great tech piece when Vendetta's in the pool. And even better... In GG0, you can now pick same cost models. So she's a six point henchman who can pick like a six point minion yeah. and just absolutely destroy them. <laughs> and and the, the, he can't retaliate because she's just buried the whole game. Yep. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I took Search the Ruins. Oh, sorry, I took uh, Outflank. My opponent took Search the Ruins. And then I also took Vendetta. Um, crew was pretty much the same Tyra, Nothing Beast, Karina, Sion of the Void, Ionis. Um, didn't take Midnight Stalker. I took Hans. 
something I didn't say for the last game. So game game two and game three, I took seven stones. Uh, I find stones something super important with Tara because she obviously she's the summoner. Yep. Needs to get those high cards. And if you don't get the suit, you get a stone for it. Um, but when <laughs> For game three, I got really lucky with my hands. Uh, first turn, I drew the 12th tome. I didn't even need to stone, just got it. Nice. Uh, turn two, I got the 12 of tomes as well. I ended up, yeah, stoning, got 12 of tomes. So for first turn and second turn, just popped out two wretches. That, that's good. And But but you were kind of due, though, uh, James, weren't you? Because you, you, you were getting crap hands at the beginning of round one and round two, if I remember correctly. Yes, I was only able to get, like, you know, my I said first first round, uh, first game and second game, my highest card first turn was 10. So I couldn't even yeah. summon a, a hunter. It just had to be, like, a single wretch. Which is still worth stoning for because you know it's one stone for a four point model. Um, but yeah, so my hands were much better in the third game. Just kept summoning; it was fantastic. The terrain favoured me again. It was just a lot of cover, really high buildings. It was like a like, kind of like a ruin style thing. So he's he, he's playing Parker. He's he's getting stuck. He's getting you know, no no sight lines, and I'm just leaping around everything, incorporating through everything. Absolutely fantastic. How did it finish? Uh, so I got seven to two. Seven to two. Um, um, yep. So I scored the three for, for a turf, uh, two for outflank, and two for vendetta. Very nice. Um, so any any critical moments or uh, points you thought that were uh, particularly interesting? So my opponent did not take stones. He's had zero stones. He did have a prospector, but even when I take a prospector, I still have I still have to bring stones just because yeah. you never know what's going to happen. You need that extra bit of padding. Um, so first turn, he did shut down my handing out fast. So I wasn't able to unbury my nothing beast, which was pretty sad. Second turn, I got fast out on Parker. I love putting fast on masters because they can't use it and I just get all the benefits. He had Parker next to Mad Dog. So I popped nothing beast out and just went hard on Mad Dog. I play a lot of Parker, so I know exactly how terrifying he is. Yeah. And I was, I, was able to, I was able to kill Mad Dog real early with, with nothing beast. A bad decision I think my opponent made was investing a lot of work into this, these random wretches I was summoning, killed killed two of them first turn, killed two of them second turn. I'm like, yeah, they're wretches. I'm <laughs> no problem with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was able to get full control of the turfs as well. I think he had one turf left, and I just had all the outside ones. Yeah, that's a big deal. And uh, and again, it's something that we talked about before, uh, James, is knowing your target priority. Um, when you go up against Parker, uh, you need you need to deal with Mad Dog as fast and as possible. So- and Sue. And Sue as well, yeah. <laughs> He's terrifying. <laughs> so, uh, boy, oh, boy. So, congratulations, guys. Uh, first and second place, uh, a nice, uh, healthy group of, uh, with 16 players. Um, let's take another break, and then I'm going to need to learn about what the hell is going on in Australia. So, uh, we're going to talk about Malifaux. We're going to talk about Malifaux uh, in Australia, and uh, we'll co- co- cover a couple other hot topics. We'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast.
So like I mentioned at the introduction, uh, I've been really anxious to get um, some people uh, from Australia or even New Zealand on the show because, um, you know, back in 2E, uh, there was really kind of these three um, box casting uh, areas. You had uh, some really good um, podcasts coming out of the U.S. with Schemes and Stones and Max Value. Out of the U.K., we had the Flippin' Weirds and we had Arcane Reservoir. And then I think there was like three or four really good podcasts coming out of Australia. And, um, you know, now into third edition, we've lost a lot of that. Um, so Matt, just in general, um, do you, what do you think, um, how, how is Australia doing as far as coming back from, uh, the transition and, and, and is, are we seeing, uh, Malifaux played not only in your area, but are you hearing about being played, you know, over down South and over East? Yeah. So I think we're just a bit slow on the uptake. Um, it doesn't help that obviously, uh, getting stuff down here is quite a lot, <laughs> quite a lot harder than yeah. in the US. It's always naturally a little bit slower. Um, but the, the, the buzz is the exciting part. People are really excited to play. Um, even the old podcasters, uh, they still, they're still playing Malfo. They're still talking about Malfo. They just probably haven't kicked into gear for the, the podcast stuff. But I, I think it's just, it's just all a matter of time. Um, yeah. like, I mean, there's a hunger for it. There just needs to be places to play it and people to push it. And I think that it's just a little quiet there. Like, for instance, here, we're just absolutely loving it. Like our regular game nights are 10 to 12 people in one wow. store. Um, and that's every week. We're really consistent. Um, lots of new people playing, lots of the old people coming back, and um, just a really healthy, busy meta. It's great. So, Matt, I know I know that you uh, you know that you listen to the podcast a good bit, um, and you and I have chatted um, offline a couple times. The, the one thing I'd be curious about is: is there anything that you've heard talked about in uh, by either some of the U.S. players or some of the U.K. players that I've had on the show? Is there anything that you hear and go, "Huh, uh, we you know we don't see that in Australia," or, or "That's that's odd." Um, I'd be curious to know if there's anything uh, any dissonance between how the game uh, appears to be played in the U.S. and U.K. versus what you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really fascinating. I guess people develop their own little metas and um, and just can play the game in lots of different ways. It's it's fascinating. Things that uh, you know, things that are considered garbage on in one one podcast, people here will all love. And I think it's just meta dependent. Like it, it is. It just goes to show that uh, it goes to show that the the game is so diverse that that a piece can be amazing in one meta and terrible in another just by the nature of of the, the meta that it's that it's um that it's living in, but also yeah. um like we we sit on the fence with uh, things like uh, between the UK and the US. I think like for instance the single masters argument is is a fairly hot topic. Um, some people love it, some people hate it. I for one think singles is better. You know, some people think you know more of the US way. I think at the moment isn't it? It's it's a lot more popular for double for allowing double masters. Is that right? Yeah, no question. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's um, similarities, differences, and I think it's just being being our own little um, environment here. We, we're just taking bits and pieces from both. So it creates our own unique little spot. So, you know, that's something very unique about uh, your country and your continent is um, – it it uh, it takes a good bit of effort for you to visit some of the other parts of uh, of the country um, just by geographically. Um, are you seeing um, 
uh, a lot of disparity um, from meta to meta as far as what people are bringing and thinking and playing? Or um, do you think that uh, there is enough? Or, well, first of all, how much cross meta play is happening uh, in Australia? Like, uh, are people taking the same pieces that they're taking yeah. in the US and the UK? Uh, I think to an extent, absolutely. Um, it, I think it depends on the, the person. Some people purposely avoid it. Like, James, for instance, is a special snowflake, and he will <laughs> play what people say is garbage. In Mark II, he religiously played Jackdaw and Parker um, and made them work and was really good at it because he just invested the time and effort and... And it just goes to show that um, even a master that is a little bit under par, if it's played by a good player and it's played, you know, to the maximum efficiency, that you can you can really um, you can really make anything work. Yeah, no question. In fact, I I'd completely forgotten about that. But that would that was an ongoing uh, joke uh, in second edition that uh, th- that uh, you guys you guys had different Parker cards than the rest of the world because it was <laughs> the o- only Australia oh that was saying Parker was any good and everybody else was saying <laughs> was he was insane. garbage. <laughs> it was a, I completely forgot about uh, Australia thinking Parker was good, uh, but it, to your point though, Matt, it um, it has it, it's it's so much more dependent on the player and and the player getting their reps in, um, and I think that's even more true in three. So, James, I, I'd be curious, you know, as somebody who played in two um, and you know is now playing in three, uh, what's kind of your hot take on on this third edition? Um, how how are you feeling about it? How uh, how's how's it going? Uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. I think it's great. It's a lot a lot more streamlined. You know, like just removing all those ridiculous. The ridiculous amount of conditions and the abilities that all did the exact same thing, but had clearly different names. It's made it so much better. Um, even even though I've kind of fallen out in favor with my favorite masters, like as Matt said, I absolutely adored Jack Dorr in second edition. Not yeah. so much in third edition. He's still amazing, but it's just not for me. Um, yeah, I, I, but all in all, I, I honestly think the third edition changes have been much better for the game. Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, your points are, are, are spot on. Um, the one thing that surprised me, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, James, but I was surprised how what really on, on paper seems like small changes from second to third, I feel almost made it a different game. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely made so, like, just the smallest changes. Like one of the main things was, you know, just like for Hamlin, you know, play his love light was a condition. And if you took condition removal, let's just completely shut him down. Yeah. And now that blight's no longer condition, you can't just remove it. It feels it feels like you, you've actually got you actually get to play with what you've brought instead of just mm-hmm. getting shut down completely. So one other hot topic that I want to um, close out here with, um, if uh, when we were recording this, we're recording this in mid uh, November, and. Uh, Pretty much uh, the way to break uh, your phone is to go into a weird place and search a weird place for the word Shenlong. Um, your, your, pho- your phone's memory will run out. Um, so, uh, James, I, I would like to know, not necessarily just about Shenlong, but what are your thoughts and feelings about kind of this discussions of, um, you know, so-and-so's is overpowered, he's broken, he needs a nerf. I'd be interested to know kind of what your take are, take is either on the Shenlong conversation or the conversation in general. Um, I honestly don't think he's as ridiculous as people making him out to be. Like, obviously, he's definitely strong, you know, being able to just, oh, yeah, I'm stat eight, and after flipping, is it's huge. Like, it, it, it is impactful. Yep. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't complain about some change. You know, maybe 
like making it a bit higher to get Chi or even dropping it by what stats. So only plus one, so it's plus two. But I honestly mm-hmm. don't think he's he's broken as like people as the people are suggesting. And he's definitely got ways to counter, and he's. I think people are making it a bigger issue than it really is. Well, how about you, Matt? What do you think? Oh, I was just saying, um, it's it's easy when you're on the Reza side because we've got Von Stuck. <laughs> oh boy, that's a fun counter. Um, yeah, yeah. Ac- academic superiority, I think it's called. Completely ignores upgrades, so uh, he always it's always nice to have the the top dog have one horrible counter. Yeah, but the balance to that, Matt, which I think is this is a, all of a good thing for a good ecosystem, is you know, yeah. So uh, you know, our Von Stuck is is, is really. Um, can help tone down Shen Long. The problem is, is that if you didn't happen to pick Von Stuck and they bring Shen Long, Shen Long is a beast against everything else in our faction. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, like how many of our pieces are hard to wound? And yep. And yeah, it, yeah, it's awful. And I mean, the the other thing is, I mean, a lot of us are almost you know maining Molly and um, in a competitive matter. And if you drop Molly into Shen Long, that boy, that feels like nearly an auto loss. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you'd have to be you'd have to be really good or up against a really bad Shenlong player to uh, get an easy win uh, with Molly yeah. into Shenlong. Um, it, um, I think, uh, I think, um, you know, you guys, um, especially when we were talking about Parker and Second Edition and stuff, um, and I still think it's it, it's true in three. Is I mean, everybody has their new baby skin on right now, and I think that um, you know it's really hard. To with any authority, um, be able to make a, a call on any of these masters. Um, and uh, the reality is, is that no matter what uh, Kyle and Matt do, as far as balancing and um, you know boosting models and nerfing models, they're even when they're done with that, they're going to end up with another model that's the best. Um, not only in this faction, and but also in the game because something has to be first. Um, I think the key um, is going to be, uh, and I tell you what, after, there's a, for a couple of reasons, I think that uh, Matt and Kyle are more than capable of making this happen. What is key is that I, I hope that they avoid what happened with um, uh, Sandeep um, and Nico in second edition, where it wasn't that uh, Sandeep and Nico were great uh, compared to everybody else. Cause they were, but what really made them, uh, frustrating is that they were so much better than the rest of their faction that if you were an Arcanist, you played Sandeep. And if you were a resurrectionist, yeah. you played Nico and they shut down the rest of the faction as far as what, could, what you could be bringing. And I'm seeing a lot less of that. Um, even, even in 10 Thunders, um, everybody who plays 10 Thunders doesn't play Shen Long. There's a lot of other good masters and keywords in 10 Thunders. Um, so that makes me hopeful. Well, guys, um, really enjoyed this. Um, and, uh, we definitely have to have you both back on, um, to talk some more because, um, it's going to be, it's really important to me that, uh, this podcast tries to cover as, as much of the world as possible. Um, you know, earlier we had a, uh, episode with, um, we got a chance to hear from Russia, um, and uh, I just want to do a quick shout out to other parts of the country. Uh, reach out to me on Facebook because I, I really want to have as many different um, parts of the world on this show because I think it's it, it's useful um, for people um, to hear other perspectives. Uh, before we wrap up, though, Matt, is there anything that you want to plug? Oh, I mean, um, I've got another event on in uh, in August. That's uh, I mean, sorry, in uh, December. That's nearly sold out. So a month in advance. That's how keen uh, our players are. So. Nice. Um, uh, it's called a weird Christmas and it's, um, just a real fun event with lots of raffles and stuff like that. So there's a few tickets left, but nearly sold out. 
I, I love how active your meta is. Uh, we're, we're blessed here in North Carolina to have a real active meta too. And it, um, you know, a uh, uh, rising tide r- brings up all ships. You guys, you know, get a lot of games in, get to play and beat the hell out of each other. And, uh, just, it, it just makes the whole thing stronger. So that's great. How about you, James? Yeah. Uh, well, just one thing I want to say, they're talking about that active meta. I really yeah. want to thank Matt, Matt for that because he has gone above and beyond as a henchman to, build this meta we wouldn't have this meta if it wasn't for him yeah he's just gone all out to really bring this together yeah that's awesome the only problem with matt is that he introduced you to the game and you're you know you're podiuming him left and right so i'm (laughs) sure there's some some people in your meta that wish that yeah that's great that matt built a strong meta but did he have to show james the game (laughs) (laughs) i'm not the only only boogeyman in our meta there's definitely there's definitely another one he's he's pretty scary Yeah. Um, I actually, you know what, that, that brings up, um, you know, one of the, we weren't able to get, uh, the, the gentleman that got third place. Um, uh, but, um, Matt, let's just, can we, can we talk real quick about, uh, who plays third and talk to, about him as a player? Cause he deserves it. He's on, he made podium. Yeah, absolutely. Aldo, that was the Kirai player that made James go draw. Uh-huh. Uh, and to his absolute credit, he's quite new to the game and, um, he's done exceptionally well. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I will admit oh. he did pretty good against Tyra, considering he's never seen Tyra before. Like it was pretty That's good. Right. We we have a we have a guy that uh, plays here in North Carolina. Uh, his name's Jeremy. Um, actually, he was. You guys saw him on the live stream. He played Hoffman on our uh, live stream, and uh, he never played war games before. Uh, you know, he's played board games and stuff like that, but never played a miniatures game before. And I think he's been playing like six months, and it's it's really not okay how good he is at the game. Um, yeah, as fast as he's gotten, it just clicks with some people, doesn't it? There's something to be said about not coming into, um, a miniature game with the preconceptions that you have from other games. Um, so I think that some, like for instance, James came in and, and just had no kind of, yeah, the preconceptions, like I was just talking about a lot of people come in from other games and try and compare mechanics to other mechanics yeah. and try and the way they play other games. And it, it just doesn't work like that. It's not, it's not a, like, it's not derivative. It's not like a, a, a limb off of a tree. It's a completely different animal. Uh, you know, that's a really good point, man. I hadn't thought about that. You know, we, we do bring a lot of baggage if we've played a lot of other games when we start any game, uh, including Malifaux. And um, sometimes that fresh perspective um, can be super healthy. All right, gentlemen, yeah. that was uh, that was good times. Um, I will be talking to both of you soon, and we look forward to having you back. And for everybody listening, take care. All right. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thanks. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. 
Oh, that was perfect, guys. Nice and succinct. Um, oh, it's so hard getting everything in order. <laughs> just want to talk about everything. Yeah, don't yeah, stress about it. Everything at once, jumping all over the place. Oh. Well, one thing to think about it is, um, you know, what is it that's interesting, right? So, what I mean, that whole idea. N- nobody really gives a shit what you did in the tournament. What they're listening for is they're trying. <laughs> they're trying to. They're trying to get insight, right? They're trying to find something yeah. that'll resonate with them, that'll make them a better player. Yeah, um, Matt, you. Uh, where did you move? You changed your position relative to your mic. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, that's all right. Can there I, you go. One second. My cat's being a nightmare. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I'll be able to bring your volume up, but um, uh, there's a huge difference between the two. But you're good. Um, so yeah, that's just, good. So I'll just, yeah, I'll just lo- I'll just lock this kitten who's driving me nuts in the other room. Back, all right. Yeah, all take right. your time. Let us know when you're back. Cool. I'm just gonna say I really hate Archie so much. Oh, dude, Archie's so good. <laughs> He's so good. And especially if you bring healing into that uh, Molly crew, um, uh, you know, above and beyond just the uh, totem, uh, Archie can be just rough, absolutely rough. And, and, and you know, there's there's pieces that, that, that can hard counter Archie, but um, it uh, – He's 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 really good for his points. Um, all right, so I'm going to wrap up this segment and take us to a break. Another one of my big issues with Archie is that numbskull. Can't get him yeah. fast in Tara. Oh, I love that James took Parker just because uh, <laughs> yeah. because I was like, you know, if you drop Tara, I'm taking Archie in a bone pile and sloth because sloth, yeah. took, oh, sloth no. into, into Tara. So you strip the fast with the slow and heal three for no cards, no nothing from range 10. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. That's brilliant. <laughs> All right, I'll bring us back. So halfway through my little speech about Euripides, I realized that you didn't play against Euripides. It was Matt. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. you're probably sitting there going, what the fuck is Craig talking about? <laughs> you can splash that into some tension. Oh, I'm going to make it editing magic to sound like it was like never happened. Are you kidding me? I'm, oh, I'm an idiot. Know, I just added to sound, sound competent. <laughs> Oh, no, in our section. Uh, uh, so yeah, no, I, that'll I'll flip that over to the, my discussion with Matt, and people are going to be like, "God, Craig's insight on Euripides is amazing." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the problem is, I brought it up into an outcast versus outcast match. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, leap and by oh, side. Which, which Von Schur can do easy with the rocket boots? Exactly, oh, yeah, leap everywhere. I can't wait though for someone to, to hire Levy into into Von Steel and give the waifs rocket launches. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no, I completely agree. Uh, so, Jim, welcome to the third floor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh God, I called you Jim. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> one, one, one fucking name I wasn't supposed to say. All right, um, all right. Give me a second. <laughs> 